Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. And today, our series is called Unstoppable. Today, we're looking at Mission Unstoppable. I said that before, right before Mother's Day, and we talked about it. It is that as a church, we must realize what Jesus did, song we just heard, what he did when he set us free. What he did when it made it possible for us to be with him. What he put in motion, what he set in place is unstoppable. See, we have a society, we have people today that that are beginning to question whether or not the church can survive in this role, whether or not life in Christ can survive. And I will say not only can it survive, it can't be stopped. And we have to believe and embrace that. Regardless of what we see, regardless of even how tough it gets, as a matter of fact, we have a book in the Bible that tells us it's going to get pretty rough. But what that book also tells us is that you won if you're in Christ. The book of Revelation shows us some things that we rather not hear and see. But the reason that we get that from Revelation is so that we can remain faithful and that we can stand in victory. But what we see in the book of Acts is the continuation that as Jesus came, lived, as he was born, lived, was crucified, died, and was resurrected, it was for a reason. It was for a point. It was to start a mission, and Acts shows us that beginning. And it isn't there just so that we'd have a good history lesson, so that we would be able to tell folk how the church got started. Acts is there so that we can understand not only what the mission is, but that it will be accomplished, and so we are not to lose heart. You're going to hear about some really rough stories in Acts, some of which we know nothing of in our experience here in the U.S. There are brothers and sisters in other countries that are experiencing some of what they experienced in the book of Acts. There are some that, that, that are. But understand, even for them, Acts was written so that they can persevere, not believing that the mission has been canceled or aborted or that who we are is now stopped. If I can put one word in your mind for this whole series, it is unstoppable. And that's not for you to go out and be arrogant. Tomorrow, you can't be stopped. Oh, your life may end. And for some, they may decide to quit and turn around. See, even if people stop, God can't be stopped. Even if churches close, God's church will never close. Even if Christians decide to walk away or decide to live ungodly and unholy, Jesus will never live unholy. He cannot be stopped. And if you embrace that, 
regardless of how hard it gets, regardless of, 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 of how much you may seem and feel like it's not worth it, regardless of how delusional some people who have formerly walked the faith can be and become, it doesn't matter. We've heard of stories of people that have turned their back on the faith and have walked away, and it has made us sad, rightfully so. But what it doesn't do is cause me to turn away from Christ because he is unstoppable. Thus, his mission is unstoppable. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you again just for today. Lord, I pray that our eyes are open, that our ears are clear, and that our minds are resolute to follow you, knowing who you are and that what you have will be accomplished. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so at the book of Acts, when you look now, I have already preached on Acts 1, 1 through 5, and the reason that this mission is unstoppable. And now as we begin to jump in, as we know Acts is a Acts is a two is the second part of a planned series. Luke, when he was writing in Luke chapter 1, wrote the intent to Theophilus. And I know that there's argument, is he is is, is that a general name and title? Mm, many theologians don't believe that. Was he an individual? Many believe that he was, um, and that he had some representation in the Roman government. But here is the greater thing. Um, uh, uh, Luke was writing to convince them, and I'm going to read it um, um, as, I, as I wrote it down. Luke was writing... Um, one, that it was meant to be a continuous work, Luke-Acts. He did it from the beginning. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't, oh, let me write another one so that they can be super clear. No, he had this intention. And I'm going to read Luke 1, through, Luke 1, 1 through 4, because he gives you that purpose, and then he picks it up again. But it is, it is strongly believed that Acts was written to attempt to win over to a less prejudiced and more favorable opinion of Christianity at that time because persecution was breaking out. And they were writing, especially to those that had authority over the region in Roman government, they were writing so that they would have a more favorable picture of what true Christianity was. They had heard about it. They had had some error saying that they were people that were seeking to overthrow the government that they were seeking to turn it on its head, and he was like, that's not it at all. Oh, there is a kingdom, and yes, it is growing, and it is expanding, but you don't understand it. And so he goes from the beginning of Christ coming, and then goes all the way through not only Christ coming, but Christ commissioning his people after his resurrection, and then the church begins. And so let me read Luke chapter 1. I have it up there, verses 1 through 4. I'm using a Bible that doesn't have uh, page uh, marker things. You're going to bear with me while I turn. So it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers um, of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, 
most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That was his opening for the book of Luke. And so you're getting, one, things that were passed down by eyewitnesses. That was the first thing. He says, two, you're getting things that I have researched. You're getting things that were handed down to us. And he says, you're getting things that are orderly and that are given to you after much research. And Luke, throughout both his works, are telling us that what I wrote can be trusted because it was researched, because it was looked at, because it was passed down by those who witnessed it personally. And he said, so it should be read in that light. This is not some fairy tale. And when we read Acts and we read some of the miraculous and fantastic things that are happening, understand where it came from. It came from a man who was trained as a physician, trained to notice things deeply, acutely, and to notice details, to do your research well. How many of y'all want a doctor that has not studied well? How many of y'all want a doctor that doesn't understand anatomy and biology? doesn't know how to prescribe medicine. Yeah, I got a D in about half my classes. I got an honorary doctorate in medicine. Yeah, you're not working on me, bruh. I want someone who has spent the time, who has done the work, who has studied, who pays attention to detail, who looks forward, who keeps themselves current. Luke was a guy that understood this. And people understood that when he put his work out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so then you go with me to Acts chapter 1. And we read that one two weeks ago. And the very first verse, Acts 1 verse 1, <clears throat> he says, In the first book, Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all th with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I'm not going to read the rest because we read it the last time when we preached. He said, in my first book, in my first work, I chronicled all, like all as in everything exhaustively? No, all that was needed to know. I chronicled everything that you needed to know about the life of Jesus Christ. But now, he is saying, I'm going forward from Jesus so that you see what happens as a result of what Jesus did and taught. And with that in mind, let's jump in. With that in mind, let's keep that this is a chronicled, no, not just you know, word for word, step for step, but it's chronicled over time what happens after the resurrection. What happens that Jesus planned to happen? We remember from the last sermon that he commanded them, don't go yet. I'm getting ready to commission you, but don't go yet. Because if you go, you're going in yourself. Don't go yet. Don't, don't, don't venture yet. I know that y'all have been with me. And I know that you have spent time around me. And I know now that you are seeing me standing here in front of you talking when you saw me be crucified, died, and now I'm standing in front of you resurrected. I'm not a ghost because I sat down and ate with you by the riverside. 
And he has gone and come and gone and come. And now he is getting ready to leave for good until he comes again in a different manner. And he commands them, look, go and wait for the power that you will need to accomplish what I am setting you on mission to do. And so they do. And we start at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. One of the things that is repeated in here, and you guys know as we have learned to study the Bible well, one of the things that we realize is that when you see words repeated, especially in short paragraphs and for emphasis, that word see or sight is mentioned five times. What was Luke trying to get across to us? Number one, the ascension as we see it was verifiable. People stood there and saw it. No one would ever forget that, just as you wouldn't if you were standing out in the parking lot talking to Jesus and then all of a sudden on the cloud. First of all, the fact that the cloud is lower than the building probably would have messed me up. But the fact that he was being lifted up, if I didn't pass out, I would be standing there in shock and awe. And the cloud takes him out of their sight. And I, I, I'm just trying to figure out what kind of feeling. But then again, after a resurrection, what else phases you? And he was lifted up, and they just stood there staring. But let's jump in and see this mission unstoppable. Number one, I want us to realize, as I said before from Luke, that what he wrote was from that which was accomplished, that which was eyewitnessed, that which was transmitted, that which was investigated, and that which was written down. Let me say that again for us, because I want us to understand that. What you are reading is from that which was already accomplished. It had, it had already transpired. What was eyewitnessed, what was then transmitted, what was investigated, because he just didn't take the word of those who were talking, and that which was written down. And that's a good model for us when it comes to reading of the Word of God and listening to people, me included, that are sharing that Word. What is it that he is talking about that has been accomplished? Am I talking about that which was planned by God, that which was set up by God? 
or am I talking my own thoughts? If I'm talking my own thoughts, please don't listen. Next one was that which was eyewitness. What you are reading are accounts from eyewitnesses. People that had knew, had seen and understood. And back then, understand, people like to say, oh, that was just a, a big hoax. Only problem is with this, only problem is, is if you end up trying to pull off a hoax, claiming that there were eyewitnesses, and any one of the eyewitnesses that is not in on the game, you're done. The jig is up. And so when they say eyewitnesses, as a matter of fact, several times, Luke will actually say in his gospel, and later he will say, go check, because he'll say, and they are here to this present day, and they are around to this present There are 500 that are still here. What was he saying? Go check. Go ask them. And so the deal was for him. He's saying that this mission is based on that. And then not only that which was transmitted, that which was investigated, and of course that which was written down. And so the first thing that we see is that Jesus promised a mission that they would have to embark upon. But first what he did was refute their thought. They thought it was going to be a political kingdom. And Jesus shot that down quick. They said, is it time now? Are you going to rise to power now? And what they were saying is that, is Rome going to witness your rise? And that this kingdom be a physical one here on earth? Because that's how they still understood it. Remember, before the resurrection, they were still talking like that. And here they had not understood fully that God's kingdom was first in our hearts. And it was now here and although yet not fully revealed, and it was coming, and it's expanding, and one day it will be physically seen. But they were like, are you coming now to change the political arena? And what Jesus says is, look, let me help you out. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. Those questions that you're asking about when things are going to happen and is it going to be set up in the way that we think, he said, that's outside your pay grade. That's above your authority. You do not need to know. We are on a need-to-know basis, and that is not what we need to know. And so he tells them, it is fixed. Number one, it's in place. And number two, it's by God's authority that is placed. He didn't say by God's word, by God's authority, which means God who has all authority has set it in place and it is fixed, which means it cannot be moved, unstoppable. It has to be accomplished. And so he says, that's not for you to know. But Jesus promised a mission of power. He says, but, and in scripture, those of you who know, as we talk through Bible study, that is just about the biggest contrast that you can get in the Greek in scripture. He was like, it's not for you to know, complete opposite, but I'm going to give you power. Well, hold on a second. I asked about a kingdom. He said, that what you're asking is none of your business, but I'm going to give you power because I do have a kingdom that will expand and grow. But it is not what you think. But here's the one thing that it will require. It will require you to be empowered. 
You know what that tells me? You cannot live this on your own. You cannot live it by willpower. You cannot live it because you think positive. You cannot live it because you feel like it today. This is on a power-only basis, and you and I don't have the power. So that tells me, well, how am I supposed to live this life? How am I supposed to do what Jesus accomplishes? See, there is a power that he referenced in the Gospel of John when he talked about the Holy Spirit, but he said he has not come yet, but he will come, and when he comes, here's my deal, he's not leaving to come again, leaving to come again, and so this whole thing of receiving the Spirit and that somehow we need to wait repeatedly on the Spirit coming doesn't make sense. Because when he comes, he doesn't leave. He stays. Although everyone has not experienced him, the time of the Holy Spirit entering and now entering into and empowering people is about to come about here in Acts. Why is that important? Because before Jesus was with them, God in the flesh, but now Jesus was leaving them. And we just saw it, and he told them in John, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, but you're leaving. Yes, I am, but I will come. How? Because I'm sending the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who was equal in the Godhead to me. And so what happens now, he says, that time for the Spirit coming is going to be your power in which you're going to accomplish what I'm going to lay out for you to do. And so Jesus promises power in order to carry out the mission. The key verse, actually, the key verse in all of Acts is Acts 8. If that book rests on anything, it is Acts 8. He says, so when they had come together, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own power. I mean, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Stop there for a second. The second thing Jesus promises, not only does he promise power for the mission, Jesus promises that the mission will expand and grow. That the mission will expand and grow. How do I know that? He says, well, first of all, you'll receive power. It won't come from you. I mean, it won't it won't come from you, but it will come for you. But here's the reason for the power. Not so that you can go around and show people that you are some sort of elite Christian. I got the Holy Spirit. Not that you can go around and demonstrate that folk can look at you and see how spiritual and how, um, how gifted you are. The purpose of the power was mentioned in the same sentence. What was that? That when you receive this power, you will be something. Not you will become, not you will represent. He said you will be something. What will you be? You will be a witness. Yes, we do witness as followers of Christ, but he says you won't just do witnessing door to door, going around talking to folk. You will be a witness. Your life will represent that I am real. 
And so what we're getting now is this promise of the Spirit, this mission that is now powerful and that now will expand and grow has to first start with you being empowered. But empowered to do what? To demonstrate spiritual gifts? It's not the main point, although you will. The power to move mountains and to cause people to stand in awe, that may happen, but that's not the main reason. The main reason for the power is that people will look at you and say, man, Jesus is real. Jesus is for real. He is a true king. Let that sink in for us and let that shape our thoughts right now. Is the Spirit's power in your life causing you to be a witness such that people look at your life, oh, I know not perfect, but look at your life and say, Jesus is real. Oh, my goodness, Jesus can change lives. Wow, look at the everyday ability that this person has to live out their faith for Christ. Look at this ability that people have every day to represent who Christ is. And then he says, you will be a witness in an, in an expanding way. He said, first here in Jerusalem. He's telling them, I will start right here. Because remember, he told them, go to Jerusalem and wait. Don't go anywhere, wait. And when I empower you, I want you to start right where you are. And I'm going to share for us as believers, when we come to Christ, sometimes we want to run and tell the whole world that we know Jesus. You know what Jesus wants you to do first? Start right where you are. He wants the people that have been around you all the time to know that there's a change. He wants the people that are living with you day in and day out that don't believe that people can really change like that to witness that kind of power. They want the people that you work with, the people that you entertain yourself with, the people that you hang out with, the people that you educate yourself with. All of those people need to be able to understand, and not just by you saying something, but by you living it, that you are a witness to Christ. That's the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, I promise power, I promise a mission that would expand. And then he said, I promised that I would leave. And so he did. He kept telling them, I'm going. And so the verse says, as he was standing there talking to them, right? And and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, as miraculous as that was, it was also very decisive. Because understand, over this 40-day period, over the 40-day period, they had seen Jesus come and go. In other words, he would, he would be among them, and then he wouldn't. They wouldn't know where he would be, but he would be among them, and he wouldn't. There are times that he would just appear in the room. I almost want to ask Jesus, man, can you knock so we just don't get this heart attack? Come on. Jesus like, I don't need doors. He can just appear and disappear, which is what was happening. He was, he was appearing at different places. He appeared by the, by the riverside. He'd have 
peered up in the room where they were. He, he, and, and then now he's walking with them to the Mount of Olives. And so they're with him, and they're so excited as they're following him. That's why they ask, is the kingdom time now? And he said, the kingdom, in essence, is now, but it's not a kingdom that you think. But now what he does is as he starts to ascend, it is both an act of extreme power that he defied all the laws of gravity. There is no human that can do this. Not even on your best illusion trick can you do this. But he now is being lifted up into the heavens. Number one, yes, it is an extreme act of power. But number two, it is a decisive moment that he's leaving and not returning until the appointed time for him to return physically. And so they stood there. And I'm wondering if they were thinking, well, is he going to come back down? Is he going is he going to come again? They just stood there staring as most of us would. I'm wondering if they were thinking, okay, okay so now this is when he leaves. He had to let them know that I'm leaving for good. He, he could have just disappeared, and they were like, okay, well, is he coming back? Should we wait? What do we do? He told them to head into Jerusalem, and then in front of all of them as witnesses, he leaves. Now what happens? They're standing there in that moment. But here's what God does not allow. I love this. Jesus ascended with power, and he leads with power. He leads with decisiveness. But there's also, there's the promise that Jesus will return. What do we get now? We get the angels that are standing there. And they say, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Some of your virgin would say dazzling apparel. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Can I ask for that for a second? I would have been like, yo, you, you, you didn't see that? What do you mean, why are we standing looking into heaven? I know you see that every day. We don't. I know you in heaven, and I, we don't, don't. And again, they look like men, but men in just white robes. Why do you stand? I mean, he knew why they were standing there, but why was he asking that? He was asking, it's like, it is not for you to stand here gazing at this moment, fixated on Christ leaving he gave you instructions going to Jerusalem. You will be empowered. You will be my witnesses. This kingdom will grow. But you are standing here gazing. What was he doing? Getting them off that moment. Don't stand here basking in this heavenly moment. You have work to do. You know, and there are times that God may bless you tremendously. And you want to keep going back to that moment. God said, I didn't, I didn't do all these great things in your life for you to stand here relishing the moment. He's like, I did this so that you can move forward and do something based on what I commanded. Oh, we all have those wonderful moment times in our life. We all have those times in which, in, in which we thank God, man, I can remember certain of those moments, but if I just live in that moment, I get nothing done. If I don't live in that moment, I don't do what they did next, which was go and pray. And so they get them in. He says, why do you stand here? And I love the promise. The same Jesus that you're looking at, the same Jesus that went away is going to return just as he went into heaven. 
So it's a promise. And here's what I love. God was consistent in using angels. We know that the announcement of the birth of Jesus, an angel announced it. We know that when he was born, the angels were coming down and forth, and they were rejoicing. We also know that he was attended to in his great temptation. It's also believed that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was attended to. But then we also get here that at the resurrection, guess who announced it? Angels. Heavenly messengers sent down at every moment of God's plan, every climax of God's plan. And now what happens? He is ascended. And angels not only are, are affirming it, but they're proclaiming something else. He will return. And so at every point of God's plan, when it concerns Christ, his, mess, his, his heavenly messengers are announcing it, and he tells it for you and I. So here's what we tell us today. Live like what they said is true. He will return. Live like he's going to return. Live like he empowered you to do something until he returns. And then, of course, they go in to pray. We're not going to get into deep into, into the rest of that. But what ends up happening in the rest of that chapter in Acts, they get together and they, and they pray. They gather together 120 in the room. And included in the room is Mary. Several Marys, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, is in the room praying as well. They are waiting to be empowered. As Jesus said, he would. And Peter gets up and says, look, we need to replace one of us. We need to make sure that we are united together and that we are people that are waiting for God's plan. And so they thought, some people thought it was a mistake. Luke gives no, uh, no account at all that what they did was a mistake. It was just their response to what they thought should happen. And what was that? That Judas, who betrayed them, took their number from 12 to 11. And so they figured that we needed to have 12 because we understood from Old Testament scriptures that the 12 represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they said, okay, we need to have 12 again. But then they also said, we just can't choose anyone. This person needs to have seen the resurrection. Now they're understanding true apostleship. They need to have seen the resurrection, but they came with an even more stringent requirement and said that he needs to have walked with Christ from the beginning. That was theirs. And so what you got were the two people. And then they said, let's pray. Let's bathe in prayer. The room was united in prayer. They were united in mission. And even though we don't hear about Matthias, much after that, that decision was not a haphazard one. It was one based on this group that was praying. Peter, that was now leading after being restored. And then looking back at the Old Testament scriptures, because Peter uses two of them. He uses Psalm 69, and he uses Psalm 109 to justify the replacing of Judas. And so they do it, and they commit it to prayer. God had another plan in Paul 
But I'm not going to put any shade on what they did. The scripture does it. This is the result of now them listening to Christ. They go to Jerusalem, and now the stage is set. They are ready for Pentecost, and I'm sorry, Pentecost, and they don't know that Pentecost is going to be a thing from then on. They just know that Jesus said to go to Jerusalem and wait for a little while. He didn't give them what that time frame was. And when that power comes, you'll know it. How do I know that I have power to live for Christ? Oh, you'll know it. Because you'll be able to live in ways that you never were. Peter was already starting to show some signs that he would. He stood up in the group and took lead and began to tell them what we were going to do next. Oh, but that was nothing compared to what was going to happen in chapter 2. And when we jump into it for next week and we look at it, we're going to see this power for the mission that was given for them. And that makes you unstoppable. Let me remind us, many believers have lost their life representing Christ. Many believers have lost careers. They've lost friends. And it seems like what you're doing is fruitless. As a matter of fact, what you may be able to do may at some point end, but please don't mistake that, that the mission has ended, that what Jesus is doing has ended. And just because you can't carry it out any longer doesn't mean it's not being carried out. Just because your friend who used to walk with Christ, just because your partner who used to run with you in the Lord has turned their back, and it may hurt like crazy. Mm. I'm sorry that you don't see the need to continue. But I'm not stopping. It's like that old song that seems to never die. They play it all the time. Every generation gets it. All my old heads know where I'm going with that. Ain't no stopping us now. See, the deal just becomes... That song was written, I mean, all of those people could be stopped. As a matter of fact, that song could be stopped if they just stopped playing it. But those words, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to his mission that he sent us on, man, can I tell y'all, ain't no stopping us now. So let me ask y'all, why you're acting like it stopped? Why are you hiding? Why are you running around scared? Lord, what are we going to do? What? Do you realize what it took for him to set this up? And we got five or six people that don't like you that are pushing against you. You got a company that's saying, we're going to fire you if you don't, or I'm going to do this to you, or we're going to do that. Really? Here's my issue. Stop letting powerless people cause you to stop a mission in which they did not power you for. Stop letting powerless people cause you to stop a mission that they did not empower you for. God has set us up. And that makes what he does unstoppable. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.